Welcome to The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha Bhushan, and this is your oasis for strengthening your mental and emotional fitness, no matter what life tosses your way. I am so excited you're here. Just like you, I wear many hats. I'm a former dentist turned author and serial entrepreneur, currently a mom of two, and a recovering perfectionist. Every week, we'll navigate brave conversations to support your evolution at every season and stage of your life. Raw and unfiltered, we'll explore all the feels as we unpack life's unpredictable moments, from the playful to the painful, the magical and the messy, and everything in between this epic human experience. You ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello, Brave Table fam. Welcome back to a very juicy episode. If you are new, I'm your host, Dr. Neetha. And if this is your first time arriving at the Brave Table, welcome. It is a very, very special, special episode today. Today, we are commemorating 50 episodes. That's right. This is the 50th episode. And I couldn't think of a better human being to bring on today's episode to commemorate. 50, none other than my dear soul sister and queen of boundaries, queen of relationships, queen of creating agreements with your partners, with your loved ones. She is Sylvie Kaukausian. And Sylvie, I've known her and her husband, Brian, for nearly a decade, a decade when we began our personal growth journey together. And he's been such an incredible soul brother. And his wife, Sylvie and I have become just the deepest of soul sisters and friends here in Austin. And I want you to get to know a little bit about her because she, in my opinion, not only is she the sought after relationship coach and the person to give so much advice and just her wisdom around boundaries and her wisdom around the family dynamics that we tend to have because she also is a child of immigrants and we talk a lot about this. And so in this conversation, we are going to go into what are the attachment styles. And if you aren't familiar with this work, well, she makes it so easy to think within yourself and also go back into childhood. And what were those relationships with your parents, your caregivers, as well as your siblings and how that can relate to how you show up in the world now. And we also go into how to actually set boundaries, especially when we are in immigrant households, when we've been taught to suppress and we need to obey and we don't want to you know, disrespect because that's a huge no-no for how a lot of us were raised. And she gives us really good pointers as to how to navigate those sometimes touchy conversations. And I could not think of a better human to bring on to really dive into this conversation because we just really need to normalize it. We need to have more abilities to be brave in those scenarios. So I'm going to keep giving these amazing gems of wisdom in people that I love that I'm bringing to the Brave Table. So fam, without further ado, happy, happy 50th episode with me. Thank you so much for being along on the journey. And let's get into today's episode with Sylvie Kaukausian on the Brave Table. Okay, Brave Table fam, welcome back to another episode. And today I get to be joined by 
somebody really special. Sylvie, welcome woman. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. This has been a long time coming, I feel like. <sighs> Very long time. Wow. And you guys just moved? Just moved. From LA? Los Angeles. Oh my gosh. Are you missing LA or what? Not at all. Okay. Shockingly. Okay. Yeah. That's how I was. You know, yeah. everyone was asking last year when we decided to move cross country while I was pregnant and with <laughs> Ari, you know, toddler, the twos. And I was like, no, I actually don't miss it until I recently went back mm -hmm. to LA. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I miss. I miss yeah. the friends and I miss the community and I miss the 5,000 healthy food mm. places, you know, like we have like one yeah. and everyone goes to the same one, you know? Yes. <laughs> the people, same for me. I miss my friends. I miss my family. But whenever I touch ground back in Los Angeles now, I'm like, take me back to Austin. Yeah, right. Just the nature. And I'm such a green forest person. So being around all these trees is so calming for my nervous system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are like in... A in place the, in where the trees. in the trees, like you guys are fully in the trees. Yes. Oh my gosh. The treehouse in in Austin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. We're going in today. We're going in. So I, I just want you to tell our audience, like, get, tell us a little bit mm. about Sylvie mm. and your journey to where you mm. are today. The big daddy question. Mm -hmm. oh, gosh, it's always so hard to like pinpoint all the different parts, but. Gosh, where do I start? Um, you know, being in this work of this healing space that is so all-consuming in so many ways, I started um, really diving my feet in as an actress when I was... You were? I was. No, I, I didn't was. know that. Tell us more. <laughs> I basically was just needing a context, a space where I could express the fullness of my emotions and mm -hmm. my anger, my rage, my jealousy, and all these things. I always felt like that calling to be in a space that could be supportive of that. Mm -hmm. And so I started there. And I think soon after that... How old were you in that? How old was I? 20... I started at about 23, 24. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For about six years, seven years. Wow, no way. Yes. Oh, my God. I did not know this. New learnings. New wow. Learnings. That's amazing. It was fun. It was like exploring all these parts and, you know, being in a space where I could connect all these different parts of me where I think, mm -hmm. you know, growing up in a Middle Eastern culture and mm -hmm. there's there's not a lot of space for that. No. And I think there's a lot of, you know, repression for women and, mm -hmm. and, and being this good girl and, you know, having to be this perfect person and it was beautiful in that it allowed me to really cultivate my connection to like all the parts of myself mm -hmm. and then it also hit the point where I was like wow I, I don't want to do these kind of scenes and like where do I get to have boundaries in this world Ooh. birthing of boundaries started to come online your birthing of boundaries birthing. came from yes like these gigs and these gigs oh wow and and yeah. acting fully yeah so what were some of the hardest parts or some of the hardest roles that started to activate these boundaries hmm. i had to do a love scene oh wow it was clothed thank gosh <laughs> oh my goodness yes and okay. i remember breaking out in highs <laughs> you did and then right before i had to go on stage for this oh my it was right so it's on stage it was a set okay it was set. a set okay yeah. it was in theater let me let me just be okay clear not theater yeah, no, no. theater is like a crazy yeah that's like a different beast different world and I just I remember my body having this like really visceral reaction. And I also think that, you know, actors are such self-expressed beings where 
where boundaries is not something, it's much more normalized now. Okay. But there's not a lot of talk of that on set, like how to do an intimate scene like that mm -hmm. with someone. And where are your limits? And are you okay with not being touched? And where you're not okay with being touched? Right. And isn't it, it more so the camera angle too because mm. I feel like sometimes they can like finagle the camera to make it look even mm. more than it was or sure. okay yeah mm. and that that was for me that was like just kind of getting clear with you know I don't know how I could do this craft and get to have my boundaries mm. so I left I basically didn't know that there was a way that I could find my own voice and my own needs and my own boundaries within it and through that, I also just think I needed to explore my own personal healing. Acting was great, but it wasn't integrated. It was like, mm -hmm. yes, I get to play this angry role, but where does that anger actually come up for me personally? Ah. So I had to really dig in and look at some of the you know earlier childhood stuff and cultural stuff and family stuff. And I got to really connect more of the dots intellectually, mm. which for me is such a big part of the work I do now with clients is helping them you know, boundaries is, it's intellectual, it's embodied, it's its a combination of both of those things. And, you know, my acting was the platform for me to launch. It's kind of like your catalyst. Yes, very much. And so when you're kind of reckoning with these emotions that are coming up and this rage that you have to do in a scene mm. or this excitement that's coming up, where was it showing up for like the little girl, Sylvie, that needed mm. to still heal? Or what parts of her needed to still heal? I think for me, where did the angry parts? I think the anger was the lack of ability to really be vulnerable. And mm. I was such a sensitive child and I felt like I didn't know how to express that part. I didn't feel fully safe to be vulnerable. My dad, I think, would get very triggered by vulnerability. And so it, vulnerability kind of became this thing to hide. Mm -hmm. You know, the sensitive part of me, which is, you know, the part of me that like I work on showing the most as much as I can when it's safe was sure. the part that now became anger because mm -hmm. I couldn't literally express it. And I would say another emotion that I'm working on significantly in my work now that came up during acting, which was like the final point that I left was shame. Mm. I started to feel so much shame come up in my acting scenes. Oh, wow. I remember having, I'll, I'll never forget, I was instructed by my coach to get on my knees. I had to ask for forgiveness from someone in a scene. Oh my gosh. And I was mortified. Oh, wow. It hit because acting, you don't just do a scene and then you forget about it. Mm -hmm. You have to like process also what comes up for you as a person. And mm -hmm. if you have unregulated or unprocessed shame, Mm. It's kind of a disaster. Sure. So like, and shame, one of the biggest defenses is avoidance. So get out, run away, hide myself. And so for me, it took so many years to unravel the experience of shame. Shame for so many things, mm -hmm. for just being a woman, for having feelings, for putting me in a role where I have to be this weak person. And that's how I, you know, described oh, right. it. I would never define vulnerability or asking for forgiveness as weak now, oh, wow. you know what I mean? Wow, but in that time of your life, yes. it was so mortifying oh for you to get to that level. It was like, just kill me now. It was it was dreadful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Shame and is the worst. Shame is probably one of the hardest emotions to feel. Is it really? Oh, yes. And absolutely. what is the healing process behind shame mm. usually? Mm. So I'm so glad we're talking about shame. Shame is a big, big one because this, this affects a lot of people. It's a big one. And, you know, again, this is where the intellectual understanding for me helped so much. You know, after acting, I became a therapist. I work as a coach now with people. And shame, as well as other emotions, they all have a purpose. Mm -hmm. Shame 
before, you know, when we used to live in more village community oriented yeah. ways, mm-hmm. it was you know, it was a way of protecting you to not be kicked out of the village. Mm. So shame on you. Don't do this thing so that you are, you know, part of. Right. Is that where right? shame on you yes. came from? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Shame on you. That's such a, that's like a mantra in like immigrant family households, isn't it? Absolutely. Like Middle Eastern and even like Asian yes. cultures too. It keeps Huge. you in control. Control. Don't shame mm. the family because what you do not only impacts you, it also impacts the family. So we're going to all get kicked out of the village. Uh, so it's so primal. And so, so and you ask, you know, like, how do we work with it? It's like, first, just recognizing that it's there. Mm-hmm. It's so visceral. It's like mm-hmm. this feeling of just feeling so disoriented and disconnected from your body. It's it's dreadful feeling. Yeah. And one of the ways, you know, we work with shame is, first of all, acknowledging is what you actually believe about yourself true? Is it true? Is the mm. feeling of shame and the story you have with it? If I share this thing with you, Nita, mm. are you actually going to kick me out? Mm. Are you really going to So really going me? to the root cause. Yes. Like, am I really going to abandon you as a friend? Yes. If- and sometimes you might. I mean, if I say something horrible to you, mm. you know, that's just completely inappropriate, you might abandon me. Mm-hmm. But most of the things that people have shame about are minimal things. And, you know, if you grew up in an abusive childhood or a culture that just uses, like you said, shame to control or to get people to like behave, but in such suffocating, constipating ways. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It can be paralyzing. Hmm. That's really interesting. I kind of want to break that down for a second because, yeah, using the emotion of shame to control and suppress you. And I feel like so many of us can so resonate to that Mm. because it's almost like, yeah, your parents, they are only doing what they could. But boy, you've met my aunt. Mm. Like, bless her heart, right? You know, she takes care of our kids, but there are these like things that she'll say, or, you know, maybe another elderly caretaker will say, but it's part of their generation mm-hmm. and it's part of their wiring. Yes. And it's like that shame on you for doing X, Y, and Z. And, but it is their way of kind of trying to place order. Absolutely. You're protecting, so right. For protecting. They don't want anything to happen to you. They don't want you to be exiled. And it's like, we don't live in oftentimes in those communal ways anymore, mm-hmm. especially those of us that live in America. I'm sure people listening to your podcasts are all over the world. Mm-hmm. But here in America, it's so independent oriented that yes, if I say something that you don't like and you leave me, so what? I have other people. Mm-hmm. Whereas it wasn't like that before. Mm-hmm. You had to really adapt the more communal ways. And, you know, there's a benefit to communal ways. Like, I'm not throwing communal ways under the bus here at all. Right, right. You know, they all have their pros and cons. But of I think course. shame, you know, for people that have chronic shame, mm-hmm. you know, it's good for people to have some level of shame. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they can be a narcissist. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So right. having some level of shame, like, I better be mindful of what I say, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. But it's people that have, like, more chronic shame, which I lived with for so much of my life. You lived with. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I would leave a situation if I thought I did something wrong before I was kicked out. Wow. And I didn't know that I was doing that. This isn't something that I really put the dots together until more recently. Mm-hmm. But I basically would, yeah, I was a runner in relationships. I would. You were the runner. Oh, I was the runner. Oh, wow. So like runner. you were kind of like Julia Roberts and like yes. that one. <laughs> what was her movie? What was that movie? Runaway Bride. Yeah, Runaway Bride. You would like run away before. I didn't wait until the wedding thing. Okay, okay, okay. I, okay. I left in moments that were not We love so. you, Brian. <laughs> Well, and he experienced it when we were in relationship in the beginning. Oh, okay. 
where you thought you were just going to run away? I had to work through so much of my, I'm diagnosed with PTSD and generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the fears around being trapped and like living in my own shame were coming up strongly in the beginning of our, our relationship. Wow. And where was that PTSD coming from? The PTSD was, it was layered. Some of it came from just my cultural background and family dynamic stuff, but also I think some of it came from actually being a therapist and working in a group home for a year and being with children that had experienced really traumatic things and hearing their stories for eight hours a day. Oh my gosh. I was completely like, it destroyed me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I had to, you know, take a break from therapy for two years and had to work on just, you know, secondary trauma is real when you work in the environment of Absolutely. And family therapy. Yes. And a group home to even top that off. I know. Oh my gosh. It was brutal. And I think to witness kids being hurt is another kind of man. Mm-hmm. So painful to witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't witness things directly, but just from hearing the just stories. Just hearing their stories. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. So yeah. you needed those two years to recalibrate. Definitely. Yes. And do you think that, I mean, we have a lot of, you know, mental health professionals that also listen in and a mm. lot of coaches. Yeah. And in the work, right, as professionals and people kind of, taking others Mm. through something, Mm. we kind of want to be there and we're so empathetic and we want to be there to fix their problems. And even though you hear a thousand times, well, it's not yours to fix at all. And we know that Mm. from a theoretical standpoint, but it's so hard when you are empathetic or you feel deeply, or like you said, you were a sensitive child. And so I I can only imagine the work that you do now with boundaries Mm. that is so... Mm visceral or maybe the work that you needed to, you know, to heal some of these things. So let's kind of segue and take that bridge. Yeah. Into boundaries. Well, perfectly said, right? That two-year gap, you know, after working in the group home, I did my, started doing my own therapy and trying to understand how is my own nervous system naturally wired? How is mm. my brain wired? What is my own personality type? And how do I work with clients in a way that is not taking away from me mm-hmm. in this intensive a way, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to really figure out what kind of environment really supports me. So like mm-hmm. even now, like I'm just now starting to take coaching clients again after a year of, of taking a break because of our move and all the things. Oh, yes. All the things. We know. Real life. <laughs> but I basically have, I've gotten to know myself where I need a week in between clients. So like my sessions are every other week. And mm-hmm. I model that with my clients, like really I need that in order to take care of myself so that I can show up and really be able to offer a supportive presence. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to really recognize, you know, one of the things I offer support with people when it comes to getting to know, this is like more capacity oriented boundaries we're Mm -hmm. talking about. It's Mm -hmm. like, what is the spaciousness you need? Like when need to hangs out with people, Mm -hmm. does need to get uh, charged or depleted? Mm. Do you get energized more? Are you more extroverted Mm -hmm. or are you somebody that really needs that? introversion time to process, you need to write, you need to talk stuff out loud with people so that you are not like clogged internally. Mm. And then you can start to develop anxiety that way. Oh, You know what I mean? So capacity boundaries is a huge theme, especially in our mental health field, in the coaching field and figuring that out because the system, the therapy system, I mean, most jobs are 30 hours a week, 40 hours. I mean, that just 
that would have that's my nightmare to Oof. my nervous system. Oof. So that's why it's taken me a really long time to really, you know, figure out my own way of being and every person's different, you know, everyone's capacity is different mm-hmm. in that way and I think honoring it, accepting it. Sometimes you can build your tolerance mm-hmm. with experience, but that's not always the case. So mm-hmm. learning to be okay, I am a slower paced person. I have a really sensitive nervous system that you know, if I try to override that natural way of being, I'm doomed. You know, I love that you're saying that because for those who don't really know mm. where, what category they fall into, yes. maybe they took a Myers-Briggs test yes. or something or, or an Enneagram or a human design, but really knowing, do you get lit up be, mm. by being around a lot of people or do you need that time to recharge? For me, myself, personally? You know, and kind of like, having them really understand and kind of think of, Mm. you know, how does that land? Because sometimes, Mm. even for me, like, like, oh yeah, I get supercharged around people. Yeah. But then there are times where I'm like, all right, when I'm done, I'm done. Mm. And I just want to retreat back Mm. into my little cave Mm. of maybe watching Bridgerton for like the third time (laughs) or something like that. Totally finished (laughs) the second season. I'm right there with you. So good. So good. Oh my God. We're calling it Indian Bridgerton. It's so good. (laughs) Next episode that we'll talk about on the Brave Table. So I think that if it's somebody like you where you're like, well, I think I like to be around people. Mm. And when you talk about capacity boundaries, are you also talking about when do your clients or even patients that you work with, when do they then start taking ownership and agency Mm. of like what feels good to them? And give, tell me a little bit more what you mean by that, Nita. Well, so the idea or the kind of the theme that's coming up for me is when do your clients start to learn mm-hmm. how to create boundaries for themselves that really feel good and supportive and nourishing? Mm-hmm. And what are some of the first few steps for them to start thinking about that? Mm-hmm. For boundaries, absolutely. And I want to speak to one thing before I dive into that is, mm-hmm. you know, you shared something about you loving your people time, but you needing your cave time. Mm-hmm. You know, our culture values extroversion. They do. It's very facing forward. It's very big. It's very out there. That's what's valued. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're all going to naturally be inclined to move towards, especially, I mean, we live in a time where it's, we're in the information age, create content, like let's get it done. So that kind of more mm-hmm. slower pacing way of being is just not as common. So of course, people that are more introverted or have a, a different capacity are going to just feel more shame because they're, mm. they don't fit into the mold of what is more popular or more accepted. Oh, yeah. So right. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and so that, you know, that's one piece of boundaries work. But for people that are brand new, there's a framework that I like to work with by Raquel Lerner. And that's, you know, it helps them define their emotional boundaries, their physical boundaries, their spiritual boundaries, mm-hmm. and their intellectual boundaries. The capacity boundaries is kind of more of a of an energy thing, mm-hmm. like how you need to resource your own energy so that you sure. can be present. And I just got home from a trip after being filled with all my friends. Amazing. And as soon as I got home, I was like a mush ball for three days. Of course. But as soon as I had my three days, I was like, oh, I'm ready for people again. And yes. I was like texting, I texted you. I was like, oh, I want to <laughs> see my people. You know, but I, I yeah. felt it. And I think that's really what I'm trying to encourage people to do is to like, 
When I work with my single clients that are dating, mm-hmm. for example, oh, yes. um, I encourage them to give their dates a week in between. Uh, and the reason for that is so they can process things rather mm-hmm. than just like kind of moving through the motions so they can get to know how they felt, you know, what they thought about the person, what they liked, what they didn't like, giving some spaciousness mm-hmm. to really process and move through and sit with your experience rather than pummeling through Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's one of the ways that you can really clarify your capacity boundaries and what your needs are is just to give a little bit more time in between things. Ooh. Yes. And can you break down sure. spaciousness for everybody as mm. well? Oh, the art of doing nothing, you know? The art of, <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so many of us don't. Right? It's not, again, it's not. It's not glamorized. It's not sexy. No. It's not sweet. It's not, you're right. It's not the American way of doing things. No. And even after training so many, you know, coaches from all different walks of life and many people from like, you know, Europe, Eastern Europe, and even in Asia, the Middle East, Mm. South America, even, you know, Australia or Oceania, there are cultures that tend to be more introverted, right? Mm. Some of the like Asian cultures, like the Japanese cultures, Mm. the Korean cultures, right? Like... The Americas, we're very forward-facing, like you said. It's so interesting that, you know, for those of you listening in, I mean, look at some Mm -hmm. of your own friendships, Mm -hmm. right? Or maybe travel to a different country. Mm -hmm. Notice kind of some of the subtleties Mm -hmm. of people around you, like the way that they lean into conversation or the way that they're maybe a little bit more reserved in what they're sharing. Absolutely. Yes. And I, you know, even preparing for this podcast, I was like, I was telling parents, like, I'm scared. Like, how much do I share? (laughs) How do I get to still be me, myself? And and vulnerable and transparent, but also, you know, there's such a pressure to be vulnerable in this era of like, I need to know everything now. And Mm -hmm. there's so much. And again, I think we've been deprived of vulnerability and that, that transparency culturally for so long as well. So it's like, I think we're moving into finding a little bit more of a balance now. It's so true because before nothing was ever shared. Everything's repressed. And you would never want anybody to know what was in your deepest, darkest secrets in your journal. Yes. And now it's like glamorized. Like you need to, you need to make a reel out of it. Your posts need to be long form talking about everything that happened and how much is too much of sharing as well. Yeah. And taking, I think those breaks and that spaciousness to really think about things and really being okay with where it lands and where it feels more authentic to you. But of course, our context is always going to shape that. You right. Know? So being right. aware of the context at play can be really helpful. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So for our audience who's like newly single or single dating, mm-hmm. finding their next partner, I know you talk a lot about attachment mm. and attachment styles. Yes. And I love this <laughs> theme and topic so much. Because it tells us so much about some of our inner child, little girl and little boy wounds that we all have. And it shows up in our Mm. most personal, interpersonal dynamics, Mm. which are relationships and love relationships. So can you break down the attachment styles for us? Absolutely. How much much time do we have? Oh, wait, wait, wait. We got got enough time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So essentially, so the attachment theory framework was developed by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. Credit to those amazing healers and, you know, bringing that body of research where essentially it's showing us how that initial bond with our primary caregiver, whether it's mom, dad, grandparent, whoever's that one person who is responsible for emotionally connecting and tuning into and soothing us, how that can get mirrored in our 
adult relationships. Mm -hmm. And this isn't about blaming. This isn't about like putting caregivers down, but it's about, you know, holding it with compassion, but honesty mm -hmm. so that we have a template of understanding ourselves and doing some healing work. Yeah. So for people that have more of a secure attachment, they've had a caregiver that was pretty consistent a majority of the time. Meaning if Nita was crying as a baby, this is the first few years of life. Caregiver was there, noticed it, and responded in an appropriate way that helped you. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. It just means that they got the job done enough of the times that you're like, I'm secure. I feel solid. Mm -hmm. And people that have that tend to grow up more trusting in relationships, more yeah. just more able to have reciprocal dance in relationships. People that have more anxious types grew up with a caregiver who is inconsistent in their mm -hmm. style, meaning like they may have been really present sometimes. And other times maybe they worked really, you know, three jobs to keep yeah. food on the table. Right. And, and they, they were just in survival mode. Exactly. So mm -hmm. again, not blaming, but being honest about the impact. Right. Mm -hmm. So that child um, can grow up feeling really anxious in relationships like wait a minute you're here we're super connected now you have to go to work oh my god my anxiety is just kicking in we're not together or is something wrong if you don't respond right away mm -hmm. and then there's people that are more um, dismissive avoidant types which they grew up with caregivers that were just not really present for their emotional needs mm -hmm. maybe they valued achievements this is actually very common in immigrant families yep. dismissive avoidant yes mm -hmm. yeah very much about you know Again, it's wanting to make sure that there's success in the family, that, you know, wanting to make sure that kids are, you know, successful in achieving what, what are it is, like three, four job types that we're allowed to have. Right, right. You doctor, know? dentist, doctor, lawyer, engineer. You got it. You know, I think accountant might be Accountant, one of them. yeah. And so, you know, kids, instead of being seen for who they are, oftentimes they feel like their worth is from what they do, what they bring to the table. They can be really hyper-independent. Mm -hmm. And so for them, you know, embracing and getting in touch with their needs and relationships can be hard. They can be dismissive of other people's emotions. So they just put off other people's emotions. Yes, they can. Mm -hmm. If it's on, you know, it's all a spectrum, but mm -hmm. if it's on the more intense spectrum, absolutely. Because look, I have to take care of my emotional needs. I got me. You got you. You take care of mm -hmm. yourself. If I can take care of me, you rather can than take being care relational, ah, right? Okay. Yeah. And then there's the fearful avoidant type, which came on a little bit later, which is kids that were really frightened of a caregiver. So maybe they were really bonded and connected in some ways, mm -hmm. but like there was a lot of fighting, a lot of chaos, or just abuse in the childhood mm -hmm. home. Parents, maybe they were grieving and they were not really available and they were just scary. These people can like flip-flop between the anxious and the avoidant mm -hmm. and they can really struggle because as they start to fall in love, they might feel that loss of control, feel mm -hmm. trapped. So it's, you know, all of these things can be helpful to recognize so that when you start to feel those feelings as an adult, you can put it into context. Mm -hmm. You can be like, okay, I'm feeling like this, but my person didn't really do anything. Why am I having such a strong reaction? Let me look at that. Mm -hmm. Let me kind of explore some of my family of origin stuff mm. so that I can better understand and maybe be vulnerable about that with someone. And actually share that part exactly. with them so that you exactly. can start healing and working through those yes. things. Absolutely. So out of those four attachment types, are there any of the attachment types that come up quite a bit that they tend to like pair in relationship? Yes, they do. The anxious and avoided types. <laughs> talk, they talk love to, me about to that. find each other. <laughs> but Brian and I, my husband and I, we call it the cat and the puppy, the kitty and the, the, the puppy dog. Okay. Cat is this cool, independent type. I got me. I'm just going to sit in my own corner, you know, licking my paws, taking yeah. care of myself. Because that's the avoidant it's behavior. more avoidant behavior. Okay. And then there's a puppy dog. Look at me. Come, come, come. And like they both are drawn to each other, but they also have a lot of struggle because the draw is they each want what the other person has. Mm -hmm. 
the puppy wishes they could be in some ways more independent and just like leaned back in their own experience. And not needing the other person. Exactly. Not mm-hmm. needing the other person to regulate them and to be that you know, person for them all the time. So that's very endearing for the puppy dog. And so they're like, ooh, that person's juicy. I want to date them. I want to be cool and mysterious like the kitty kitty cat, (laughs) like in its paws. (laughs) But the kitty cat is like, wow, here's this puppy dog who just throws himself out there, who's so relationally focused, who is able to be really vulnerable and open. And they're drawn usually to that. But it also can bring up their core fears, meaning like the person who has more avoidant tendencies can feel being trapped. So here's this puppy dog who's always wanting attention, attention, uh, you know, connection, connection, rather than attention, attention. Right. And they're like, oh, my God. But it, that, it recreates the familiar feelings in them. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to acknowledge both sides because I do think there's a lot of healing and strengths within that dynamic and that dance, sure, sure. but it can also be really challenging and they have to really work with each other to create ways of understanding and creating new agreements so they're not constantly you know, stepping on each other's wires. Mm. I mean, this is so good and so juicy. <laughs> so what are some of the healing patterns or maybe even we could start with some of the conflicts hmm. that first arise with the kitty cat and the, the, and the, puppy, and the, puppy, <laughs> the puppy dog. <laughs> I love it. I love the kitty and the puppy analogy so much. Um, what are the challenges? Mm-hmm. What okay. are the main challenges and maybe even fights that could come up? So the, the puppy dog, mm-hmm. the person with more anxious tendencies, wants more connection. Right, of course. And the person with more avoidant tendencies wants mm-hmm. more space. Mm. So maybe we start at the beginning of our relationship. And maybe they're Emotionally unavailable. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. So, yes. Okay. And in the beginning, it's hard to see that because we're carried by all the new hormones and chemicals, like we're in love. Like we can bypass a lot of those attachment wounds in the mm-hmm. first stage of romantic relationships. Okay. Is that like three months, six months, it a year? It can be a year. It can be two years. Okay. Can, but usually by a year, you start to kind of, it can be before. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. It can happen earlier, but you know, it can last, I would say, up to a year. Wow. Okay. And it will shift depending on, you know, if somebody is in a really vulnerable stage in their life, it might access that stuff more quickly. But if they're feeling pretty confident in their life, they might get carried on longer. So the main fights between a a kitty cat and a puppy dog (laughs) is that you have some of these avoidant tendencies and the puppy is like, I want to connect, I want to connect. Yes. And so then that's where the conflict arises. Yes, that's where, so after that first stage, they resort back to their previous ways of being. That's mm. when their defenses start to come up more. Yep. And this is all unconscious. Like their implicit memories from childhood based on research starts comes up. So if I'm the puppy, I, I might be engaging for in connection in ways that push you away. Mm-hmm. I might be critical. I mean, in my beginning of my relationship, when my anxious attachment stuff started coming up, I was blessed with a little bit of both. <laughs> so I'm very, very familiar with both sides of this dance. Yes. But I would be critical. I would be blaming. And I could not articulate just what it was that I needed. You know, we start to notice how we're communicating our needs. Mm-hmm. And the first way to start healing it is recognizing that we need to work on being more direct, more clear, mm-hmm. non-blaming, non-shaming. And taking responsibility yes. for your feelings and emotions. Exactly. exactly. Mm. And especially with someone more avoidant who is more independent, we want to do that even more because that will help to disarm them and to keep them engaged and present. Otherwise, pew, they will just completely run at the sight of feeling like they have to take responsibility for someone mm. else's needs. Wow. Oh, that's huge. 
And they both can have a thriving yes. relationship. Oh, 100%. Okay, guys. So yes. any <laughs> ladies, for those of you who are in a relationship or looking for a partner, don't just kind of say no to anyone that is posing you know, the opposite avoidant or mm. attachment style that you are because it can obviously work out, right? You just have to be clear and you have to create agreements to protect the relationship. Oh, so good. You know, okay. you, you can't rely on your natural way of being and say, this is how I am mm -hmm. because how you are actually comes with some defenses that are hurting you in relationship. This can be in friendships as well. So for the more avoidant part patterns, that looks like leaning into more vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And when your partner is coming to you or a friend is coming to you with their needs, it's like, okay, yes, my natural first gut reaction is like, no, 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 no. But remembering this is how you've been wired, that doesn't mean that's how you want to maybe continue interacting because that's not going to make your partner or your friend feel safe. Mm -hmm. So it's working with the opposite energy of what you've been wired with. Sure. You know, again, with someone that's more avoidant, you know, one of the things I did earlier on with, with Brian, because I learned from my past, like waiting <laughs> till the end of the day for a text message is my anxiety is through the roof. Right. You haven't heard from that I person. I heard from the person. Mm -hmm. I was miserable. So I was like, okay, my next relationship early on, I'm going to start communicating these things in a non-blaming way. I, I really need us to check in first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Just a quick check-in text. And, you know, he probably had his resistance to that. Sure. Because, you know, Brian will share that he resonates with having a lot of strong avoidant patterns. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, but he was willing. And that's the key word that I, you know, want your audience to take is the willingness. Mm -hmm. For everyone in the picture to be willing to look at what their natural defenses are and to be willing to create new patterns and agreements that are going to help them create the fulfilling and secure attachment relationship that they actually so want. Good. And sometimes it's basically feeling that, uh, I don't want to tell that person how I feel yes. or uh, I don't, I don't want to text them because yes. it's my own stuff. And actually to do the opposite thing. Yes. It's yes to, you know, to text that person or to tell them how you feel yes. because your gut instinct is like, no, 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 no. But it's actually that little boy or little girl that's just trying to keep you safe. And now when you're starting to activate new neural programming, mm -hmm. you have to do the opposite to start creating mm -hmm. those new neural pathways mm -hmm. so that you can start building what you're saying is these secure attachment relationships. 100%. And oh. I, I want people to know that this isn't about creating this perfectly secure being in yourself or this relationship. I still live with anxiety pretty much daily. <laughs> yeah. But I know how to interact with that part of myself. And I know, not that I'm perfect, I still blame, I still criticize, I have my moments. Sure. But I know how to repair that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is, you know, recognizing those parts of you can help you then be a bridge of connection. And so, you know, even if, like you said, you have that instinct, you don't want to be vulnerable, hopefully you have a partner or partners or a friend that also is appreciating those efforts. You yeah. know, Nita, I know how hard it is for you to be vulnerable. I'm just using you as an example. Of course, right? of course. I know how hard that must have been for you to share. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Like, I'm so grateful. Like, I feel mm. so close and connected to you. Ah, so you know? really supporting them yes. by encouraging them so that when we encourage yeah. that behavior, we get more of it. Right. Rather than just expecting it, you know, because mm. that might not come naturally to someone that you're with. And to just honor where they're at and that they're actually trying. They're trying. Yeah. Effort. It's so great. Even if it doesn't hit the goal perfectly, effort mm -hmm. is huge. Oh, the effort. Wow. Okay, Sylvie, there's so much to learn from you. And I know you have so many courses. You've got such a huge fan following on Instagram. So how can we learn more about this mm. conversation? 
um, attachment boundaries, all the things. Mm-hmm. All the things. <laughs> well, Instagram is my platform where I share a lot of daily insights on different relationship themes, whether it's boundaries, transitions, grief, attachment. Mm-hmm. You can find you know all that there. Mm-hmm. Then I have online courses that you can find. I have a boundaries course, an attachment course, a dating course. All the courses. Dating course. Oh my gosh, yes. The dating course, I feel like I probably should have taken a long, long, long time ago. But I think I did. Okay. You look like you're doing absolutely just fine. Wow. So is it Sylvie Kukasian? My Instagram page? Yeah. Yeah. Sylvie Kukasian. Kukasian. Okay. So so is that the Armenian way of not pronouncing the K-H? It's actually Hu. I'm just not saying it as intensely. Hukasian. Hukasian. You got it. Oh, wow. And your website is also? Sulikukasian.com. Hukasian. Hukasian. You might have to spell that I will spell that for you guys and it'll be in the show notes. There's a K-H in there as well. (laughs) But before we close out, I have an igniting round of questions. Mm. Oh, yes. Okay. Let me just just have one. You can go as slow or as fast as you want. But what does it mean to be brave? Hmm. I thought about this question last night. What does it mean to be brave? For me right now in this stage of my life, I think what it felt as brave for me is, you know, just moving out here, trying to find new friends, female friends. And it's so vulnerable and leaning into that unknown and being in a new space for the first time in my life feels super brave. That's pretty brave. Yeah. It's really brave. Yeah. Mm. And I'm so excited you're here. (laughs) (laughs) And what are some practices or maybe a ritual or a book that you're leaning into or that's elevating your life? Mm. I would say my walks in nature lately, Mm. you know, just really embracing the green forest that I've been so deprived of. I've always loved Ireland, so I'm like, I need to be around the green. Oh, yes. Just walking. It's so pretty here. It's so pretty when it's it's not so hot. And, and you're so not great. getting bitten by mosquitoes. That's very true. That's very true. Also, <laughs> just being in, immersed in nature has been really, really healing for me. Mm. Yeah. And last question. One word that describes this season of life. Transition. Mm-hmm. In all the ways, just embracing transition. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. As you are, oh my gosh, girlfriend. Oh, thank such you a so pleasure much, for you thank to you for, join. Thank you for having me. Until next time on The Brave Table. Wow, chills, chills. I mean, any time that I sit with Sylvie, whether it's, you know, personally or just as girlfriends, she always just knows how to soothe my nervous system. And she's just one of those beings. I want you to, if you fell in love with her in this episode, definitely go and check her out on IG. That's where she checks most of her messages. She is at Sylvie Kaukausian. So that is K-H-O-U-C-A-S-I-A-N. And that is also sylviekaukausian.com. You can definitely go ahead and read the show notes. And there are links to her courses, her newsletter, and she has a very special course coming up all relating for relationships. And I mean, I hope you have more bravery and courage just to go back into your relationships this week, weekend, evening, morning, to have some powerful conversations, to have hard conversations. And honestly, we don't have to be mean about putting our boundaries in place. You know, many times that, you know, that's what we think that we need to do is to be mean because we're standing up to someone who perhaps hasn't really 
respected our boundaries in the past. It's not, it doesn't have to be that way. We can actually say it with grace. We can say it with compassion and we can also say it, uh, in a, in a tactful way. So if this is resonant for you, if this conversation really helps move the needle for you, I'm so excited. It is my gift to you and go ahead and share this with a friend, family member, colleague, somebody that needs to hear this today. And as always, and my my wish for this 50th episode would be for you to, if you haven't already, please, please share your reviews. We love, love hearing them. We love reading them. It has just been such a gift to receive from you all, knowing that this is having an impact and a shift in your life in whatever way always love to hear it. We always love to improve. So if you haven't already done so, it is not too late. It's not too late. Any and all reviews help get the message out to more and more people. So if you've forgotten, you can always screenshot when you submit your five-star review on iTunes or Spotify and send it over to support at globalgrit.co and we will send you a free mini emotional mastery course that is nowhere else as my free gift. So without further ado, I will let you go today. Happy week, happy day, and don't forget to be just a little bit more brave.